Today's gospel is from Luke 24, 13 through 35, the walk to Emmaus. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of our women in our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter, enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying... The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. Throughout the year, United Methodists take special collections, and we call them special giving Sundays. Today is Native American Sunday, and I thought it would be a, a, a helpful focus for us as followers of Jesus to be in solidarity with Christians who live on the reservations. This past summer, we got to visit the Acoma Puebla Reservation in New Mexico. And um, during that visit, we, we learned some of the richness of the culture and the heritage of that particular tribe. I also filmed a sermon that uh, I'd like to show to you now, just in, in part.
Akama people's mesa, where the Akama people have been living up on the top of this mesa for over a thousand years. One of the paths up was this steep crevasse going up the side. And hundreds of years ago, people etched into the stone handholds so that people could grab a hold of some of the rock and footholds where their feet could grip. It's a powerful metaphor, powerful image. And on this Native American Sunday, I'm very aware of the wisdom uh, and the culture of Native peoples from this country. I'm also uh, grateful for the metaphor, the metaphor of the handhold we might provide for those who are coming after us. What handholds in the faith might we spend some time working on so that those who come after us might have a little easier time on the trail, on the path, on the pilgrimage of trust, of being a faithful follower of Jesus? The Native American peoples had a wisdom that said, how will a decision affect the seventh generation from now? We may need to be thinking like that. The decisions that we make as people of faith, as people who care for the creation and the earth, what decisions we make now have an effect on the seventh generation? What can we do differently? And how might we form some grips, some handholds for those who come after us? Time to go back down the mountain. It's starting to rain. I want to thank Tom and Miriam, Rob and Nate for their Ministry of Technology to help make things like that possible. Um, the, the scripture that I'd like to lift up today that may be pertinent for us talks about the first converts to Christianity and the, the promise to them now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is from Acts. And said to Peter and the other, other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. This promise of the Holy Spirit has been entrusted to us and given to us generation after generation. And the promise of God is this is not just for you. It is for generations that will come after you. The wisdom of the Native American tribes is, will this decision, or no, how will this decision that we make today affect seven generations from today? That is really good wisdom. As we mark the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and we have this, this door made by members of RISE teams 
reminding us of the door of the Wittenberg Chapel where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses saying, we need to do better as followers of Jesus, and we can do better. I think it's about seven generations, give or take a few, since Martin Luther did that. And what he did 500 years ago has a direct impact on the way we worship. The fact that we are worshiping in the English language and brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are worshiping in languages that are their own mother tongue. We have Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation to thank for that. The fact that we can read scriptures and take these Bibles home with us and read the scriptures on our own to hear the good news of Christ. We have to thank Martin Luther and the generations, seven generations ago, for some of their hard work. Now, we are not there yet. We are always in reform. We are always working to improve how we follow Jesus. We hope to follow Jesus more and more faithfully. But today, I would like us to think with the mindset of what can we do today that will impact generations of Christians and seekers to come. And so I invite us to reflect on this question. What can I or we as Christian disciples do now that will benefit future generations? Notice, not just future generations of Christians, but future generations. Because if we do this following of Jesus right, the whole world will benefit. Because I came up with this question and I have some time to think about it this week, I, I got a head start on writing down some ideas. Let me share with you what I've written. And I invite you to reflect and share whatever you wish to write. And after this sermon, we'll be invited to pin it to the door. Here are some ideas in no particular order. If we prioritize our worship life weekly and daily, future generations of Christians and the world will benefit from our practice. If we can prioritize our own spiritual formation through participating in small groups that are offered here and elsewhere and daily practices of spiritual disciplines, generations to come will benefit in ways we have no idea. If we can practice good and faithful stewardship of the earth and of God's creation, Generations who go after us will benefit from our decisions and our practices. If we learn how to forgive well, I guarantee generations ahead of us will benefit because we will have learned how to stop the cycle of sharing hatred after hatred with our children and their children so that we can break the cycle of violence. We Christians have been entrusted with this wisdom of forgiving. If we can learn how to practice that well and with ease, 
future generations will benefit. Finally, if we can learn and practice a contemplative witness, a contemplative stance, which has also been entrusted to the Christian faith, we will have a greater ease in speaking truth to power with an energy that is transformed. We will be able to hold diverse viewpoints, intention, and follow Jesus together even when we disagree with one another. If we can practice and learn contemplative witness, we will be more able to seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. As we play some Native American music, I invite you to write what God has given you. What might help us and future generations to benefit from our faithfulness now. And after you've written something, I invite you to come and pin it to this door so that we can all learn from each other's vision of what might help God bless us and future generations.